Hey listeners, thanks so much for being here. Uh, normally we try to keep our podcast to an hour, but we had so much fun talking with John Boletto on this episode. Trust us, it's a little longer than an hour, but it is worth every minute. So get your laundry, clean out a closet, go for a drive, and come along with us because you'll be very glad that you did. I'm Cal Cates, Executive Director of Feel Well. We make massage therapy matter. And I'm Kathy Ryan. I live in Northern British Columbia, Canada, and I am a major Heal Well fangirl. And this is Massage Therapy Without Borders, the podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice, regulation, and education. We bring on really fancy informed guests to not only discuss these issues, but to formulate and share some possible solutions to move us forward. If you like the podcast, please take a few minutes to go to iTunes and leave us a review. It does mean a lot to us and lets other people know that they should be listening. Also, please share and post and like and do all the things on the social medias that will help us make this conversation as relevant and juicy as possible. Send us an email at info at H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L.org and let us know what interests and concerns you in the profession. We do this podcast for you, so let us know what you want. As always, we like to start you off with a little massage pun to set the stage. Life is too short to be serious all the time. If you can't laugh at yourself, call us and we'll laugh at you. So the joke today, what do you call a musical group that's made up entirely of massage therapists? Oh, a Mm -hmm. rubber band. Uh oh. Oh my. (laughs) That's right. You're welcome. So uh (laughs) so um so Kathy, how are you? What's happening right now? Uh, you know, I'm I'm good just trying to stay sane in in all the craziness that's going on in the world and thankful that we have this every week uh to help uh my my hands are idle right now, but this helps to keep my my brain somewhat doing something, you know. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. My and my you- son just discovered that our our neighbor, um, our eleven year old neighbor. My son is nine, and our eleven year old neighbor plays the trumpet. My son plays the clarinet. So um, I'm just gonna yeah. I'm gonna leave that there to let you know how I'm doing. Oh, um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, Awesome. Well, we're really excited today because we are here with the illustrious and beautiful John Boletto. Uh, I, I looked at his bio and I tried to pick out the things that we should tell you about, but he's entirely too fancy and has a, an entirely too storied career for me to, to do him justice. So as has kind of become the, the pattern on the podcast, we're going to let John introduce himself and, uh, Tell us um, what have been the highlights for you of your career, John, and um, in, our, in our preparatory conversations, obviously different roles that you've played throughout your career have, have informed the things we've talked about. So um, take, take a, a few minutes and tell us who you are and why, why you wanted to be on our podcast. Wow. Well, thanks, guys. Um, so yeah, my name's John Boletto. Um, I was born a long time ago. Um, and I'm still here. Um, and it's, you know, I've, I, I came into massage very non-traditionally. Um, my first experience doing massage was, uh, when I was in college. Um, and the, uh, one of my roommates was a 
cross country runner. And um, one day after uh, they had done one of their workouts, um, my on-campus job was in the athletics center. And, you know, I'd mop the floors and fold the towels. And um, one day he mentioned to his coach that one night I had rubbed his legs down after a, <laughs> a pretty hard workout. And um, so the coach yelled out and goes, hey, Boletto. I said, what? And he goes, come here. And he handed me a bottle of rubbing alcohol. And he goes, I want you to rub out the guy's legs. Oh, <laughs> rubbing alcohol. Rubbing alcohol, yeah. Wow. So, you know, that was back in, you know, very early 1970s. Um, and and that's, that's kind of where it started. You know, I just started rubbing out the guy's legs because they were, they were friends. And, you know, they said it felt good. So I just did it. Um, and, uh, after that, I just, I kind of, uh, uh, had a great opportunity to, to, um, apprentice with some local masseurs because they wanted me to learn more. Um, and then I went on, you know, just carried out my little bachelor's degree. And then I went on to graduate school and, um, realized that lab science really wasn't in my calling. Um, um, and made, made a lot of little side trips, but ended up just finally starting to do massage um, as a real thing. Um, this was before, you know, licensing existed and, you know, schools were really, you know, um, uh, plentiful. Um, uh, long story short, I ended up moving to Rhode Island and couldn't do massage anymore because uh, a year before I'd moved here, Rhode Island had instituted a licensing law. And they wouldn't give me a license because I didn't have any kind of a diploma, even though I'd been massaging for like 20 years. Um, wow. So I had to go back and get some education so that they would give me a license. Um, so that's, that's kind of the way that I started in. So, you know, I, I kind of was doing massage and then went back to school to get, quote, formal training, um, even though most of my formal training happened outside of the school experience. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it, you know, and, and it's just been very good to me. Uh, it's been, it's been a wonderful career. Um, but, but pretty early on uh, here in Rhode Island, one of my local very good friends and mentors, Ray Moriasu, um, kind of pushed me to get involved with, with local massage organization. So I did, um, and then. Um, I started to realize just how complex of a world we actually live in. Um, and that's when I learned that, you know, there were states that had regulation and states that didn't. Um, there were schools where, you know, people would, you know, um, on a break, go into the sauna naked and then jump into a lake and come back. And other schools where the students were required to wear white lab coats to class. Um, and it was like, whoa, kind of, you know, really, what, what is this all about? Um, so I did a lot of volunteer work um, for, at the time, the AMTA, um, served on local committees and regional committees and national committees. I um, sat on their board of directors for a while and uh, actually um, served as a national vice president for, I think it was four or five years. Um, and while doing that, I also was able to kind of branch out a little bit and learn about what was going on in massage education, um, what was going on in regulations involving massage. Um, um, I was uh, uh, working at the time when the certification board was, was kind of birthed. Um, 
when the whole concept of, of accreditation and approval, um, it went from a little AMTA committee to a bigger AMTA committee to a small agency to accredit schools to an independent you know, accrediting body. Um, um, watched the birth of the Massage Therapy Foundation, um, which with its lofty goals of, you know, expanding our, 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 our trip into the uh, scientific research world and the world of efficacy and cost efficiency um, and, and into the world of bringing massage to underserved populations and to encourage people to move on in their education, whether it's pre-professional education or um, education, uh, graduates, graduate level education so that they could carry on some of the, some of the work. Um, and then I think for me, the highlight uh, was becoming president of the Massage Therapy Foundation because that just gave me um, a very different seat um, in the profession. And it really allowed me to open my eyes and, and open my mind to really what was going on. Um, I got to work with all of the different organizations, the schools organization, the professional organization, the research community, the integrative health community, um, the certification board. And I got to see all of the stuff that seemed to be happening all around us all in their own little, as I called them, whirlpools. Um, and it was like everybody had their own little source lake and everybody was a river and the rivers just started to really, really, really gain in momentum. Um, and basically they began to flood the world. Um, they flooded the world with practitioners, they flooded the world with schools, they flooded the world with continuing education opportunities. They flooded the world with things that were called modalities. Um, and, um, uh, and now employment opportunities. Um, but at the same time, um, I know Cal, you and I have talked about this a little bit. At, at, at some point in time, these rivers um, converged um, and they, Converge and then they spin off and do something else and then they converge again. And it was already a flood. And it was already a flood, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that, you know, if you think about rivers, they, they accumulate a lot of silt. And sometimes the water, even though if you just let it settle, is perfectly clear and drinkable and wonderful. But you got to let the silt settle. Um, and really what we see in our rivers is silt and it's murky and it's muddy and it's made up of thousands and thousands and thousands of sand particles. Um, and for me, what, what I see is happening now, and, and Cal, this is one of the things that I, I think we talked about that uh, allowed you to invite me to participate in this, <laughs> which by the way, is my first podcast. No way. Oh, yeah. right. <laughs> I'm a oh. podcast virgin. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Um, so, um, I think what we've created is, is not so much like a Delta, like a Mississippi Delta or an Amazon Delta or an, uh, a Nile Delta. I think we've created this big pond of quicksand where there's all of this mud and all of these, these particles that are just floating around. And in the middle of it, um, we have folks like you and me and Kathy, you know, practitioners that are, 
that are kind of trying to navigate our way through this quicksand. Um, and, you know, quicksand can be kind of fun. You know, I mean, I used to love when I was a kid playing in mud puddles. And that's kind of like a little version of quicksand. Um, but it can also be really, really dangerous because if you're not strong enough to keep yourself above the quicksand, you kind of get sucked in and sucked down. Um, and I think, you know, the profession right now, and when I say profession, I really mean the whole of um, a community of practitioners, whatever they call themselves. Um, we're, we're, we're sitting in the middle of this quicksand and there are things that are holding us up and allowing us to be on top of the quicksand. And at the same time, there's things that are underneath the quicksand that are trying to grab at our feet and suck us down. Um, and, you know, over the years, I've, I've kind of grown to realize that sometimes what's pulling us up and what's pulling us down are the exact same things. And we have these these uh, forces that are that are acting on us, and and we're we're fighting ourselves a lot. Um, and really, it's it's just like if you subscribe to theories of evolution, it's just the 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 desire to stay alive. It's survival of the fittest. How are we going to survive um, in this quicksand? Um, so I think we're in a really really interesting place right now um and especially you know with with this whole COVID 19 and the not you know the novel virus issue putting us in quarantine and and you know taking us away um from from what it is that most of us have been doing for years and years and years you know our job has been to provide a very safe place for people to come and to um, to forget about their suffering or their anguish or their anxiety and just to be with another person um, in a safe place to receive safe touch, to share a warm heart. Um, and, you know, right now when the world just needs so much of that, you know, we're unplugged. You know, we're saying, nope, you can't do this. Sorry. Right <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's, that's really a shame. Um, so, you know, we, and I don't know, maybe it's just my cockeyed optimist from Kansas mindset sometimes, but, you know, we bring humanity back to people. Um, yeah. You know, we allow them to have space just to be who they are, to feel what they feel. Um, uh, and we do that because we've hopefully been trained to do that. Um, and we have the wherewithal to, you know, leave our egos at the door and just to be with another person for any amount of time, whether it's 15 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half. Um, and whatever the environment might be, whether it's in a private office, in a physical therapy clinic, in a chiropractic office, in a, on an oncology ward, um, in an athletic training room, whatever that situation is, you know, we have the luxury of just being one-to-one -one with another person for a little period of time and just concentrate basically on each other. And that's, yeah. you know, boy, that's what I'm missing right now. Yeah, yeah, so. definitely. I, gosh, there's so many things you said that, that sort of lead 
to other things. I don't want to forget to ask you though, how long did you rub with rubbing alcohol before you were like, wait a minute, this is not an amazing lubricant. Uh, you know, I kind of still use rubbing alcohol every now and again. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I never used massage oil, really. Um, I, when I first learned massage, I learned in a steam room, you know? So you had sweat. People were wet. Right. <laughs> they were lubricated. <laughs> Wow. Even now, um, you know, people say to me, well, so what's your favorite oil? I said, I don't use oil. How about lotion? I said, well, um, I even don't use a lot of lotion. Yeah. Um, you know, when I work with tissue, I like to feel the tissue. Yeah. I want to feel what the tissue is telling me. So if I, you know, if I want to glide a little bit, I, you know, people laugh at me, especially some of my former students. I have a little spray bottle of warm water that I keep on my radiator or in the sun. And I just like spray a little bit of warm water and I can get plenty of glide over I that. love it. And I don't feel like I'm missing anything, you know? It's not like I lather them up and slide over their skin and miss everything that I'm feeling in between all of those. Oh my gosh, Kathy the fashion nerd is like, that's right. That's the king Preach, brother. Exactly. <laughs> yes, as a fashionably obsessed. Ah. Therapist, of course. Yeah, I don't, I don't use any of that either. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, post-COVID, we may all go back to using rubbing alcohol. Yeah, yeah exactly. right? I mean, seriously. And peroxide and Clorox, you know? Right? <laughs> yes, all of it. Exactly. Yeah. I, th I, I think, you know, I, I didn't intend to do this, but I feel like this leads into at least my first question, which is sort of this idea that I loved that you talked about the massage therapy profession as a community of practitioners that like, it doesn't include the modality wars and the, you know, I heard somebody recently refer to the ortho bros and, you know, this, the, this, the community of, of practitioners who feel like the harder, the better. And sort of, you got to break up tissue and, and ah. sort of, yeah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> right. But that when we're advocating, when we're talking about massage therapy, I'd love to hear from both of you about like, sort of, this is part of what holds us back. I think is that we, well, I, I think these people should be part of the movement, but these people not so much. And, and yeah, that's, that's one of the quicksand pieces, I think. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that really tends to pull us down deeper into that quicksand um, is the whole, it's a concept of identity <clears throat> yeah. that's wrapped up with ego yeah. and, and market or competition. Um, you know, as, as, as most of us used to be just individual soul practitioners, we had, we had to create our niche. Yeah. Um, and in that niche, um, that it became our identity. Um, and that identity helped us to create our market, which helped to create our living wage. Um, so they're, they're all wrapped, wrapped in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think the profession really knows anymore who it is, um, because that, that collective is just now so big. Yeah. Um, and it's not like a Borg collective, you know, it's not like, you know, we are one. Right. <laughs> We right. are not. We yes. are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people 
each with our own unique skill set. Um, but the thing that I think is holding us up above the quicksand um, is that regardless of what we call what we do or how we do it, um, what we have in common is that we provide a safe place and safe touch. And um, the way we do that might be very different, but that's what makes our community. Um, and I think, you know, uh, people say, well, that's what makes us different from other healthcare providers. And no, I don't think that at all. We are no different from other healthcare providers because regardless, again, of what you call yourself or what your training is, what we're really trying to do is just to spend time with an individual to help them be a better whatever they want to be. Um, and that's, you know, that's where I take most of the joy in, in my work. Um, and I, I think most of us do the same thing, um, but we get caught up in so much of the other, you know, rapid current and, and filtering of the silt that we lose that. Um, and that actually makes me sad um, yeah. because I think what it's, what it's doing is it's taking away from our core um, um, as just as people, as human beings, um, a memory just flashed in from, from my one and only anthropology class um, was something about uh, something that Margaret Mead once talked about. Um, and it was, how, how do you know when we became civilization? I, I remember reading that she said it was uh, the time that she um, found um, a femur that was broken. Um, but had healed. Um, and she, she went on to explain that, you know, in, in, the, in the animal kingdom, when you break a leg like that, you usually die because you can't run away from things that might be harmful or that you can't run to someone for comfort. Um, but when you see a femur that has healed, um, that means that something happened to help that person survive. Um, they had to be tended to or protected in some way. Um, and it, it, allowed, it allowed that person to go through some type of a recovery process. Um, and she said, that's when she thinks civilization really started. Mm. Um, and boy, if we could take that now and just apply that to, to where we are, whether it's today in the world of COVID-19 um, or, or just as what seems to be a pretty um, polarized or dissected or, or fractionalized um, profession. And just, you know, uh, take the time to hold space for healing to happen. Um, I think we'll all be much more civilized. Kathy, Sometimes my mind just goes on these really, really crazy places. It's like you were singing you know, a song. <laughs> yeah, but you know, just that's what we do. We, you know, yeah. we try to we try to provide a place for people to um, to heal and to feel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Is that is that the same or some, what? What is it like in in Canada, Kathy? As far as like, I mean, we have a, we have all kinds of infighting in U.S. massage. 
Oh, I mean, you know, we're, there's a lot, I think that's similar across the border for sure. I mean, I, uh, I originally trained in Ontario, which is one of the regulated provinces. I now work in BC, another regulated province. So I would say definitely the climate is somewhat different in the regulated provinces in that we have a very defined scope of practice. I mean, and it's not so tight and narrow that there isn't some degree of differences among us because there's a lot of difference among us. Even, you know, one of the things that I'll say to a new patient is, um, have you been to see more than one registered massage therapist? And they'll say, yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen a few different ones. I said, well, then you probably pretty quickly realize that even though we're registered massage therapists, same standardized national standards of education and training, put us out in practice for a few years, and what you receive as massage therapy can feel very different from therapist to therapist to therapist, even within the regulated provinces where we have these set standards and regulations and, and all of that. Um, so there still is quite a bit of difference in there for sure. So we, we you know, here in BC, uh, we have folks who would uh, perhaps gravitate more towards what I would call general wellness massage, where maybe they work more like in a spa environment. Still a registered massage therapist like I am, just as professional as I am, just a very different working environment than say someone uh, who's working in an interdisciplinary clinic with PTs and, you know, and others, more of a orthopedic, let's say, kind of approach to what they're doing. Or someone like myself, who's a, you know, I have a solo practice, I have a, a home practice type of thing. So yeah, so you do, you do see those differences. Um, but I will say that um, in the regulated province, maybe our identity is a little bit more clear um, because of the, you know, uh, the standards that we have and we, you know, the process that we have to go through in order to write our board exam or our registration exam to get our license. So our identity might be a little bit more clear than in some places, but certainly if you go across Canada, you're going to see like all the variations of the community of practitioners, you know, and certainly within my own community too, we do have individuals working in my community who are not registered massage therapists. They, they can use whatever term that isn't a protected title okay. to describe themselves so they can say, I do massage but they cannot say I'm a massage therapist or licensed practitioner or any of that. Right. But you know, they, they can still work. Um, mm, okay. Just there's certain things that they cannot say that they do. Yeah. Um, and their patients can't bill to their insurance provider for anyone who's not registered in this okay. program. Now, and obviously I think we, we both try to be really clear that neither of us speaks for, massage therapists in America or massage therapists in Canada. But oh, I, one of the things that I wonder about, and as John was saying that, you know, um, you know, in America, the estimates are somewhere around 300,000, maybe massage therapists. And um, ostensibly, that means that there's 300,000 different types of massage available. And I, I think that um, this idea of defining what you do by your environment is a problem in our conversation. And that if you work in a spa, what you do is somehow less valuable than if you work in a hospital or if you work in an orthopedic clinic. It's and just different. It's just different. But I wonder, 
and and I don't know if you can speak to this, but one of my um, one of the things that we really work hard to do at Healwell is to we don't teach technique. We don't teach people how to touch. We are not a massage school. We are continuing ed for people who are already out in the world practicing. So yeah. we feel like our responsibility actually is to strengthen and standardize what is often called in our profession the soft skills. And I I wonder if you know. I don't actually want every massage therapist to give the same massage, but this idea of safety that John is talking about and humanity um, yeah. doesn't just come from touching. Um, and I, I feel like yeah. it is really lacking in our training um, in America, the, the things that you do with your mouth um, <laughs> and with your policies that yeah. help to create that sense of safety and the, um, you know, what is your, what is your job? Even if your modality is this, the way that you behave with the people you serve is a big part of how you create that safety. And I wonder how much of that is baked into Canadian education. And I mean, oh. John, you, you sort I feel like you glazed over where you've gotten all your experience. I mean, you were a vice president of AMTA, you worked with Compta, you were the president of the Massage Therapy Foundation. Um, you have sort of touched and been directly involved in education, research, regulation, really in like a frontline kind of way. And, um, and Kathy, I know you've been really involved as well in various committees and task forces and things throughout your massage career. So um, I'm interested in sort of, that's what I feel like we're really lacking. And when we think about the quicksand, I feel like we're putting band-aids on instead of really going to the heart of people don't know how to be with people. And since our job is to be with people, how do we do that? Well, I mean, that's, uh, boy, talk about hitting a nail on a head. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so, you know, if, if, if we just think about where does, where, does, where does all of this start? Well, it starts in schools. Mm -hmm. um, so what, you know, if we if we look at 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 our preparation to enter the field, um, and and we look at what the training um, is and what training you know how we're how we're prepared, um, what what might be missing from that that doesn't allow us to create that whole environment? And I think we can we can look at that from from several different ways. Um, we can we can look at it from First off, who is the who, who is the person who's going to school to study massage therapy? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, what is their story? What are they bringing with them into their uh, into their education experience? Um, what do they What are they expecting from their education? What are they expecting not only from the from the pedagogy, but also experientially what are they expecting uh, before my mind goes in 99 different directions let's let's maybe just <laughs> focus there for a little bit so so what's missing what's missing in our massage education um now if so if we specifically go to content like educational content yes we have anatomy and we have physiology and we have pathology and you know we have some business <laughs> skills yeah. maybe or maybe not right <laughs> um, so you know you, you have those you have those little um bits of information um and collectively 
that's like, those are like the, the, the science class and the business class. And then it seems like there's another whole world that's, that exists. And that's your massage class. And it's very rarely that you actually see blending um, of, of those worlds. So, you know, when you're teaching massage, like techniques, I think um, because our, the programs are relatively short, meaning in duration, um, whether you think about, you know, amount of time over months or years, or amount of hours that you actually spend in the classroom, um, it's very short. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes as little as um, duration as six months or less, you know, I guess 500 hours is still that, that, that standard that's out there. Um, um, uh, so how do, you, how do you pack in preparation um, for an individual to become a practitioner, to spend time one-on-one -on -one with another individual who is coming to them for some type of, I'm going to use the term guidance, whether it's to help them fix a sprained ankle or to help them feel better and less anxious or be in a better mood or be more productive, what, whatever. You know, that's, that's not a lot of time. Um, so if we just think about the forces that are acting on the massage schools right now, um, you've got um, uh, the whole concept of corporate education, right? Um, these, the, the, these schools um, that, that are popping up um, offering training to be a massage therapist that um, where massage might be an added program to something that already exists, like medical assisting or building and coding uh, professionals or personal training or whatever. Um, but you know, as, as the demand and, and the consumer, the, the consumer public demands more massage, um, there's, a more, there's a stronger need for practitioners. So there's a market. And these educational businesses see that market opportunity and they capture it and they try to capitalize on it and say, okay, it's like, I can train you to be a massage therapist in 600 hours. That's right. And then somebody else comes out, I can train you in 550. That's right. Um, so it's, it's almost like the, like that old name that tune game. Definitely. Um, uh, so it's, it's, you know, their, their object is yes, to train people but their object is also to keep their classroom seats filled, yeah. to get them in, to get them out in a reasonable amount of time to get them into a workforce. Yeah. Um, so how do they blend you know, all of these needs of you know, the, the reality of being out in the world practicing as a practitioner with, with you know, what they're giving in their, in their training? Um, so it's like, you know, uh, and I, and I've, I've heard so many younger practitioners um, come out and say, you know, I have extensive training in anatomy and physiology. And I look and I say, you had 60 hours. I say, yeah. your anatomy class was origin and an insertion of muscles. Right. I said, that's, that's not, not extensive. <laughs> you know, that's, no, you, you have a, you have a basic understanding of muscles and yeah. bones in your body. Yeah. You right? can color by numbers. You, exactly. You know, <laughs> what, what was your textbook? Oh, right. the anatomy coloring book. Yeah. You know? But you know, I mean, hey, when I right. was teaching anatomy, I loved that. Yeah. because it's it, a good adjunct tool. It's a really, it's a fabulous adjunct tool. Yes. Same thing with working with clay. 
Yes. I mean, I used to have my students take ribbon and put ribbon on skeletons yeah. to make muscles that way, to give them more of a three-dimensional thing. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, it's like, okay, you've got this little bit of anatomy, you've got this little bit of physiology, and you've got this little bit of pathology. And then you're given a diploma. Enough and to you're be told, dangerous, as they say. You can go out now and work <laughs> in a hospital. That's right. And, and it's like, you go to a hospital and they go, excuse me, but I, I, you do not fit into my credentialing ability here. Right, right. Because you don't have enough of anything. anything. You know, you've got these little smatterings. Yeah. Um, but I also don't want to sound like I'm saying that you need a PhD in anatomy or physiology or pathology to be a good massage therapist, because I, I don't. Um, and, you know, I mean, I get, I get called on the carpet a lot for this, but I'm really a fan of a lot of the franchises mm -hmm. because they're providing people with an opportunity to be touched, unlike ever happened before in our profession. I mean, when you think about, about some of the franchises that are, that are um, you know, doing millions of massages a year. Yeah. I don't think we I don't think we should be unhappy about that mm -hmm. because it's providing a basic human need time contact and touch all together. Yeah. And you know there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And there's a place for that in our profession and I think we should honor that. You know, not everyone has to be an orthopedic specialist or an oncology specialist. Right. You know, sometimes the generalist is really all that we need. Yeah. So be it. You know, let's let let's embrace that. So, you know, I think I think from an educational standpoint, we're preparing students to become practitioners to work in these environments to um, they have the skills to deliver a good full body massage. Um, but if they never open their mouths. If they never open their mouth, yes. Yeah. It's, it's when they start talking about, well, I'm going to flush these toxins out yeah. of you. Yeah. Well, I'm going to boost your immune system. Um, and that that's where it gets scary. Yeah. yeah. And I think I think Kel brought in one of the, I think one of for me, one of the fundamentally most important parts of what we do, and that is the soft skills. So, you know, I, I'm a science nerd, so I'm going to own my bias right away. And I will say that the way that I work with the tissue or the technique that I work is makes a difference. So, you know, I went hard and heavy into the fascia research and I use that research to inform my hands. So because I'm very scar tissue kind of focused, I completely changed the way that I used my hands based upon the research that I was reading. So, you know, if you want to get me off on you know, uh, off the rails here and like over, over the cliff and screaming, um, just say break down scar tissue because I'm going to come at you with the fists up ready to duke it out. We can't break that stuff, right? Right. So, and that was a podcast that Pam and I did with another organization about language in our profession and how yeah. we use these phrases historically that have gone on with no, nothing to support these phrases that we're using, right? We can't break this stuff down. So what are we doing? My, my concern with using the word breaking is it implies the way we should use our hands. And we could be using them in a manner that is both uh, very painful for the patient and not safe in a lot yeah. of circumstances. So sure. I will say that technique doesn't matter. However, 
it's not the only thing that matters in our practice. I'm, uh, you know, Cal, as you know, you know me well, the soft skills part, part is very important to me. That's why I hang out with people like Pam Fitch, who has written one of the books on the soft skills. And that's one of our primary, you know, regulator textbooks and books here in Canada is, is Pam's book on ethics and professionalism. Um, you know, that's a huge part of, of what we do. And I think if we're talking about what's missing in our education, I think the soft skills part, although we've, we've got a pretty good foundation for that, again, in the regulated provinces here, I still think there's lots of room for improvement in that part of what we do. Because again, I'm coming from someone who was a, a board member for the regulator um, so I'm, I've got a regulatory lens on here, knowing what some of the safety issues are and the vulnerability of people coming in to see us, you know, uh, unclothed on our table, working one-to-one -one in a closed room, the yeah. potential for patient harm. You know, we don't need to go into all of that, but there's, there's so much potential for harm there. Yeah. So I, I think the soft skills, even even in an environment, like you say, with uh, the franchises where people just want to come in and, you know, you don't have to have the PhD in anatomy and figure out, you know, uh, cure my cancer, whatever the case may be. Right. Right? So we're not here to do that. But if someone's coming in, I just need a really good massage. There yeah. still needs to be that level of professionalism there to, to safeguard the patient in our, our environment. Yeah. I, I could not agree with you more. And, and I really think that because at, at least in, in most states, um, the amount of time um, that we're required to train um, and the subject matters in which we're required to train, um, they leave out all of those soft skills. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I too, I chair our massage board here in, in Rhode Island. And, and you know, we've... Uh, up until recently, we had um, a, a, an educational requirement, um, so many hours of anatomy, so many hours of pathology, so many hours in physiology. And I think it was like maybe 12 in ethics. Um, and, you know, and, and not only about, about just ethical practice, but it, there was no um, standardized curriculum inside that ethics, which is a lot of where soft skills, that's where they live, okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think one of the things, one of the things that um, um, even as regulators and as educators and as professional organizations, even though we're all trying to keep us afloat above my quicksand, yeah. one of the ways that they're pulling us down is that, um, we don't have common language. We don't have common standardized curricula. Um, and I think that confuses our identity. Um, yeah. uh, and w without identity, that's when we kind of all really do get, get in trouble. You know, yeah. it's the, the soft skills um, are, are just so important. Um, you know, Schools are, are trying to produce education that matches successful passing of a licensing or a board exam um, that does not always translate into being an informed practitioner when you get yeah. out. 
you might have some good knowledge, but the whole skill of being able to integrate that knowledge and to communicate it accurately yeah. and non-fictionally. Yes. Um, non-fictionally. With, with, non-fictionally, with, with, yeah. you know, from a place of understanding, right? Yeah. You know, we're not expecting uh, um, entry-level practitioners to be experts on the immune system. But yeah. someone had to tell them that massage will boost your immune system and protect you from COVID-19. Right. Somebody had to put that idea into their head. Right. I don't think it just kind of popped in. No, no, it didn't. You know? Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of stuff that I think um, our organizations uh, are, are kind of holding us back because there is no, um, it's like there's no consensus. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for years, people say, well, we're massage therapists. We're kind of free spirits. We like to do our own thing. Uh, well, yes. But, you know, sure. my doctor is the same way, too. He really right. likes to do his own thing. Yeah. But there is a base there. Yes. You know? Yeah. You know, yeah he, he, he's encouraged me to try some herbal supplements and to some, some other vitamins and some uh, made some dietary comments to me. You know, and, and he's someone who's my age, which right. is really a surprise. You'd expect some of the really younger folks to be doing that. Yeah. But no, they're, you know, they're, they're just, they're good thinkers and they will think, you know, but they have to think from a place of, of, of knowledge. Yes. Yeah. It's not about shoving us into a narrow tube, you know, because one of the things that many of us appreciate about our profession is there is room for variation. Um, I think one of the issues for us in the profession, and, and you know, John, you've been speaking to this, um, is that part of, I think, its identity piece, massage therapists, rightly so, strongly identify with touch, our hands. That's what yeah. we do. A lot of people become a massage therapist because they, they like that. They like using their hands. They like the physicality of what we do. How do we make the soft skill piece as exciting and juicy as the hands-on piece, because if we go to, you know, you've got a conference and you've got a bunch of different courses to choose from, the hands-on ones will fill in first and then the ethics stuff like barely sure. gets a few people, right? Yep. So we've got to figure out a way as a profession to incorporate that soft skill part into our identity, that it becomes just as vital and important and exciting and interesting as the technique stuff. Yeah. So how, how do we do that? I think that's one of our challenges for the profession is we, because they, there needs to be equal measure there. Yes, I use my hands. I love using my hands, but there has to be that good basis of professionalism. Well, and you can see that it's not prioritized in the profession. Right. Because when you look, I don't know how it works in Canada and I, I will look forward to you sharing with us, but here in, in almost every state is regulated at this point. And when I go to renew my license, a majority of my, CE credits have to be hands-on and we're constantly fighting to get recognition for, you know, we do retreats about self-awareness and resiliency and, you know, um, we do a, a lengthier ethics and really exploring um, sort of what is ethics and that it's not about I'm getting, you're going to leave this room with things you should do and shouldn't do. It's about really being honest that when you work with people, that's a nuanced experience and that the reason we have to keep doing ethics is because it's gray, because there's no yes or no. And that, you know, to renew your license, you should actually have to have more soft skills than hands-on skills, I think. Well, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, 
I have to take off my regulator hat because um, <laughs> I'm not speaking for our massage board. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree 100%. And, and again, that's one of the things, that's part of our quicksand. And things that are pulling us down is, you know, when you go to massage school, one of the first things they start you off is they start teaching you massage. Maybe if we didn't start touching people for the first three or four months of massage school and really worked at the importance of that therapeutic encounter, that therapeutic relationship, yeah. self-awareness, okay, and took, and took, you know, took that and put it into the driver's seat rather than something that you wait until right before you go into your student clinic experience yeah. to realize, okay, if we switch the priority that way, you know, yeah. then again, like you say, Cal, when we, when we need to renew our license, we have to do um, CE and the majority has to be hands-on. Where does that come from? Well, yeah. that comes from mostly our professional organizations that want people to go to their conventions. Yep. Okay. And the CE providers that want people to have to take their classes. Yep. And that goes into the certification board saying, okay, we want you to continually develop but you can, we're only going to allow you to develop with people that we approve as yep. teachers. Yep. And these teachers, again, it's their market niche. They, you know, um, they want to feed people information. I think another part of it, too, is that, um, and when I was teaching in a massage program, the students were, they were a little bit different than students of 30 and 40 years ago. They were looking for a life altering experience. Mm -hmm. They were looking to develop a skill to get a job. Yeah. Okay? They wanted to be told what to do and how to do it so that they could finish and go out and do it so that they could pay their rent. Yep. Okay. That's a very different demographic. So, of course, now the schools, in order for them to keep their seats filled, had to start you know, lessening that personal life, personal growth phase of their massage program yeah. and develop in uh, the, 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 the uh, curriculum that would spoon feed information as much as needed yeah. so that they could pass their exam to get their license to go out and be able to be productive people in our workforce. Yeah. And again, that there's nothing wrong with that. But there's, we haven't found the way to meld that differently. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I've been doing massage for decades. Um, most of the students that I taught when I was teaching in a pre-professional program, many did not last four or five years. Yeah. Um, because not only did they not have the, the hand maturity, the, you know, the, the technical yeah, yeah. maturity, mm -hmm. but they also didn't have the personal maturity um, to, to match the, the skills that are needed to move, to help someone move on their own personal journey and the business skills to keep them afloat. Yeah. Um, so there, you know, the number of people that have been in the profession for years and years is, is, you know, it's decreasing rapidly. Um, and it's become a very high turnover profession in some ways. Uh, so, and I think that's another thing that's, that's kind of pulling us down. But again, it's all, it's all market driven. 
consumers want massage. We need more massage therapists. Schools are cropping up. We need to fill that niche in the society for practitioners. How can we do that? We got to get them out quickly. Now franchises are hiring 10, 15, 20 people at a clip. So, you know, it's that one, it's, it's that big vortex. Okay. It's all that silt kind of mushing around in that quicksand. Some of it's lifting us up. Some of us pushing it down. We have to figure out a way to meld. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, I don't know, Kathy, what it's like in, in Canada, but um, our national organizations that should be helping us stay afloat are fighting amongst themselves. And yeah. they're all trying to be the hero. You know, I'm going to save the profession because we're going to have regulation in all 50 states and it's going to be this standard of practice and you're going to be this one exam that's going to determine whether or not you're good enough to go out there and work. And then you have other organizations that are saying members of our organization are the people to go to. No one else, right? Yep. Now, you know, I've been practicing for nearly 40, over 40 years. I'm not a member of that organization. So you don't think I'm good enough to you know, <laughs> go out there and work. Right. Hey, yeah. you know, I guess I was when I was a national vice president. Right. But now that I'm not a national vice president, you know, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. So you know, what, what's that message that's, that's going out? Definitely. Um, Do you guys have that competition in Canada, Kathy? That you know, we, we, don't, we don't have any national organizations. Right. Is it all provincial, isn't it? it? Yeah. So we have like, we have five provinces that are now regulated. So the rest of the provinces and the three territories are not. And that's how, so how many, is, are there more regulated than unregulated? How many well, provinces are there? There's, there's 10 provinces. So okay. half, half are regulated and then okay. the three territories are not. Okay. Um, so, you know, and amongst the regulated provinces, we have national standards for education training. So we have a set standard program that is, you know, has to be taught. Um, so if you want to, you know, get your license to practice in one of the regulated provinces, you have to go to a school that teaches to the national standards. The one organ national organization that we do kind of have sort of is just getting rolling is an accreditation body that accredits the schools to make sure the schools are teaching to the national standards. That's okay. just getting going. Mm -hmm. But that's not a membership organization. But it's not a membership organization. Our national voices are membership-based organizations. Right. And I think which that we, that's a which fundamental we flaw. Right? Yeah. And, re and regulators are not membership-driven. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So the regulator is quasi-governmental under the Ministry of Health, um, protection of the public. So even though my RMT colleagues voted me on to the regulator's board, Mm -hmm. I'm not there as their, you know, to serve their purposes. They aren't my constituents. You know, our regulator does not call those of us who pay our dues every year members. We're called registrants. Yeah. Very clear about that, that I'm not mm -hmm. a member of that club. Yeah. That is a privilege to be a regulated healthcare professional in yeah. this province, right? So, so definitely different in that way. So we don't have these national organizations vying for we're the best and if if you're seeing someone who's a member of us you're seeing the best mm -hmm. but certainly we do see the 
in the regulated, non-regulated provinces, uh -huh. a bit of a hierarchy, let's say. Uh -huh. You know, one of the questions that I, I get from some of my colleagues is, you know, because I teach across the country and I teach in the U.S., they're like, oh, what is it like to teach those people who aren't regulated? Like, do you have to, like, you know, change your curriculum, you know, yeah. bring it down a little bit for them or whatever? And I'm like, absolutely not. Nope. You know, just because they're not regulated doesn't mean that they're they're less educated yeah or less professional or, or less, less professional, professional than i am that we've yeah. got a number of our provincial associations like saskatchewan where Donalda is the chair of the research committee mm -hmm. excellent organization and they have you know fairly high expectations for in order to be a member of their uh, association and and others manitoba also excellent uh, massage therapy association and you know so we've got some associations that have fairly high standards around the country for sure yeah so we do see that little bit of a sometimes from regulated non-regulated type of thing but we don't have any national we don't have a national exam yeah so each regulated province has their own licensing exam we don't have a national exam yet and we don't have a national association Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I feel like one of the things I got some really, um, some really uh, useful and, and I guess nice feedback from uh, a colleague that I've always had a lot of respect for who works with one of our regulatory agencies. And um, she commented on something that happens on the podcast that I think just happened um, organically because of how we talk about these issues, but that I really want our conversation to continue as it has, which is to say that it's not, I think a lot of massage therapists in the States for sure are just doing their thing. They don't know the difference between the organizations. They don't know what they do. And I think that what is really going to create meaningful change is to really get down to in each of these organizations are people and the people are making choices about what's going to happen in the profession and that the organization, no matter which one we pick is not going to change the people in it really all of the people in all of these organizations really think they are doing the best for the profession. Yeah. And so the conversations that we have are really about how humans behave. And I think this, this us, them thing, you know, in, in all the neuroscience stuff, that's like an immediate thing. You know, the example that we've been using lately, we, where we live, well, back in the old days before COVID, um, once a month, there's beer bingo at this great pizza place down the street. And all of our neighbors in our condo complex would go down there and we'd take a table or two. And the bar is laid out so there's upstairs and downstairs. And after the first round, there's an upstairs downstairs rivalry <laughs> among, among people who've never met each other and probably will never hang out again, right? Like our neighbors will all go together, but we are bonding with the other people upstairs. And, and I think that this is what happens when our associations say, oh, well, our people are the best people join associations because they need liability insurance. They don't actually like say, oh, this one's better than that one, really. I think most- And cheap, and cheap CEs. Exactly. I mean, these are the things. So, so um, it's and normal it, that this has yeah. happened. And, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes they're not even making a conscious choice. It's the school from which they're coming. Well, exactly. I belong, my school belongs to this organization. Totally. So but I did, or yep. I belong to the other organization. So exactly. it's like they don't even, there's not even a conscious thought. Right. And, and just the thought that you need to belong to an association because of liability insurance. Right. That's not what organizations should be. 
Right. Okay. They shouldn't be <laughs> our insurance brokers. I yes. mean, I have a professional liability insurance uh, policy that's not with either of the main yeah. organizations. Yeah. It's bundled in with my own personal liability and property liability and practice liability. You know, it's, I, I, I have it all bundled together. Mm-hmm. So I don't need the, you know, the malpractice that the organizations might offer. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, I want to say to to massage therapists, make the orgs want you, like make them come get your business. You yeah, can yeah. get cheaper yeah. liability insurance other places. They need to be doing other stuff for you. Exactly. <laughs> I think this has to be a collective thing. You know, we have to, all, all of the stakeholders in this need to get on the same page. And John, I think you made a, a couple of really important points here. One being that, you know, right from the get-go, rather than starting day one, start touching people, and then, oh, well, this is the way to safely touch people down the road. <laughs> you know, we need to start out with, we really got to embrace the safe and ethical component yeah. along with the competent care in, as far as what the hands are doing, right? So I think as a professional identity, We've got to make that as important as the delivery of this, you know, as Danelda said, we've got the skilled touch down. Totally. Now we've got to develop our skilled thought and our skilled skilled talk. talk. Exactly. So we've got to, in, in our profession, we've got to get our, all of our organizations, all of our stakeholders, um, you know, our schools and our associations on board with, we've got to make the skilled, thought and the skilled talk every bit as important as a skilled touch yes touch is kind of the easy part totally it it really is you know i i used to you know i hope i don't offend anybody but you know i could basically teach a beetle to effleurage right you know i mean i mean really right you know i mean my cat does effleurage your cat doesn't need and not yet not to devalue your cat and your cat's brilliance. Nope. True but, enough. you know, it's just the mechanism of doing an effleurage is not all that difficult. Sure. I mean, it's, it's like taking a painting class doesn't make you an artist. Right. Right. You, you probably can learn how to put paint onto a canvas. Absolutely. Yes. And it massages the same way. You, know? you can put your hands on people. Right. And there's well, all that other stuff that and I really think, makes it something that why people come to see us. Definitely. Well, you know, and that well, Kathy, present that, the space is safe. Yeah. yeah. That, that brings me back to many years ago. Um, one of, one of the uh, initiatives that, that I was very, very deeply involved in with the foundation was their best practices effort. And, you know, um, it's it started out in, in, in the AMTA is trying to develop a practice standards type of thing. Um, and it just got tossed about and tossed about. Well, anyway, it ended up in the lap of the foundation um, due to some persistence by some, by, by some of the uh, people that were volunteering for the foundation at the time. And we decided, okay, what we really need, uh, we need to have um, like a best practice for, for what it is that we do. And we, you know, we pulled together this, this group of people to, to, to think tank about this, to make a little bit of a brain trust. And we came up with the ideas, you know, there is no one best practice. That they're just like other healthcare um, providers, there's best practices for different things. Yeah. Like 
when someone comes in with hypertension, the practice is, well, the first thing you do is you do behavior modification and diet modification and, you know, maybe stress reduction activities. And then if that doesn't work, maybe the next line would be this type of a pharmaceutical intervention and, and you know, and on down the line. But as a, as, a, as a massage profession, we didn't have any of that. Yeah. So anyway, we pulled together this, this whole brain trust of about 35 people um, whose collective experience in our world was over 900 years. Um, so, I mean, that, yeah, and that was pretty outrageous. Yeah. And, you know, our task was to develop a best practice document. What is the best practice for dealing with massage therapy and low back pain? And what was the best practice for massage therapy and stress management? And we spent three days talking about this and, and gnawing at it and distilling it and tearing apart and redistilling and synthesizing. And you know what we came up with? Nothing. <laughs> yep. Nothing to answer that question. Yep. But when we went back and we looked at the data that we had collected, it was all about, it wasn't about what we did, but it really was about how we all really went about doing it. And, and, and that, that led to the development of, of one of the papers that is out there and I just wish would really, really gain more ground. Um, it was part of the doctoral work of Ann Blair Kennedy. And you know, we were trying, what came out of that whole symposium was that we really didn't have a concise definition of what massage or massage therapy or massage therapy practice were all about. And what differentiates massage as the modality from the profession of massage therapy, it's about, it's the combination of skills and context and delivery and experience. It's all of that put together. And boy, I really wish that everybody would, would just take that paper to heart and, and understand that, you know, if we could all get on the same page, that it's not about the thing, it's yeah. not about the way we, what we do with our hands when we're touching someone, yeah. but it's about that whole experience that makes us who we are, then I think maybe if we came to a table with, with a different framework like that, um, I think maybe something might happen. What if, what if we were purveyors of the great unknowable, you know, well, if, it, if it really was about like, you know, it may, while you were talking, John, cause I've been in task force meetings and things like that, where you, you really, you feel like you've got it and then poof, gone. And then you sort of yeah. wrestle it in. And it reminds me of in Zen practice, there's a thing called a koan. Um, and it's a question that is actually designed to introduce what the Zen practitioners call great doubt. And that the whole idea is to keep asking and keep becoming less and less confident sort of in, in solidity, I guess, for lack of a better description. And that, you know, I think this is one of the pieces of quicksand is that we, there are things about massage that make it uniquely valuable that we will never be able to distill into words. And we have to just let go of those pieces and then yes. Make concrete whatever can be made concrete, but yeah. know that the real benefit of massage isn't going to be in that concrete stuff necessarily. Right. 
I, I, oh, I could not agree with that more. It's, 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 that, it's that holism of the experience. It's who's doing it, who's receiving it, where is it being done, what is the color of the walls, yeah, what is the exactly. from, yes. you know, all of that stuff. Is it a sunny That's, day, not a sunny day? Yeah. Yeah. Am I in a good mood when I go into the treatment room or am I not in a good mood? You know, yep. all of that, you know, totally. And, and, you know, I think another thing that, that kind of pulls us down in the quicksand is that unfortunately, sometimes our ego gets in the way and <laughs> sometimes. All, yeah, I'm trying to be nice. Cal. No, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and, and we really do think that we're always doing best yeah and you know really and i think it was maya angela who said this you know do the best you can until you know better yep and then when you know better just do it do better, better. Yeah. you know and if that's you know that's what keeps me going after all these years you yes. know it's like i i only do the best that i can in this moment yeah and boy i I keep on looking to know more and to know better. Yeah. And then my best becomes a different best. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Another guest we're going to have to have back on, I think, Kathy. I, I think so. I, there's just so many threads where this can continue to go and go and go. But, you know, John, I, I think you did a real service to the profession today by identifying that one point where we've got to put the soft skills right at the forefront right from the get-go in, in our education and training, start out with just, you know, the first three weeks, you're, you're talking about how to create a safe space and touch people in a respectful manner before you actually start putting your hands on people. Yeah. Right. And the importance of touching people without physically touching. Yeah, exactly. Now yes. that's, I think that's the piece that gets missed the most. And some of our best work <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It has nothing to do with our hands. Yeah. <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah, exactly. I just really quickly, I just have to make one quick note here, John, when you're talking, you know, telling us about how, how you got to where you are, you're part of your journey. And I have to say, I find it very interesting that initially Rhode Island would give you a license and now you own them. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, true. I really wouldn't say owned them. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cooperative but, partnership. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yes. I, just, I just think that that's excellent. Definitely. Well, you know, you have to, if, you, if there's something that's going on that just doesn't sit right, you got to be part of the change. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well, um, gosh, that thank you cool. so much, John, uh, for joining us. And, and honestly, gosh, I mean, this is words certainly fall flat in expressing our gratitude for everything you've done and been uh, within and to the profession uh, over the years. And um, we, I mean, your voice is so important and we're um, just so glad and lucky to be able to um, give you voice here. And, uh, and I hope that our conversation today will benefit uh, people who have been thinking about these things and people who haven't and that we uh, really broaden that community. So thank you for your time today. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's, uh, we're all part of it, you know, we are. and we just, we, we, it, it's, we have to do it all together. Yes. 
So, you know, this is, uh, I mean, I've, I've been out of the limelight for a number of years now, so I've just kind of been sitting in my own little world, but <laughs> my brain is still circling around all of these things all the time. Excellent. So, well, we want to bring you back into the light. <laughs> well, I'd be happy to sit down now that I actually know what a podcast is and how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and I am just like so tickled that, you know, this is your first podcast, John. I cannot believe that this is yeah. your first podcast. Yeah. Good on us. Yeah, right? Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Right on. Um, well, thank you, John. And thank you, uh, all you lovely listeners for joining us today. And always, I am Cal Cates, Executive Director of Heal Well. And I'm Kathy, a major Heal Well fangirl. And this has been another episode of Massage Therapy Without Borders, the, bo the podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice, regulation and education in order to formulate and share solutions to move us forward. If you like what you've been hearing, check us out. Check out our previous episodes if you haven't already. And please, please take a few minutes to go to iTunes and leave us a review. It means a lot. Also, please share and post and like and do all the things on the social medias that will help us make this conversation as relevant and juicy as possible. Send us an email at info at and let us know what interests and concerns you in the profession. We do this for you, so let us know what you want. See you next week. Thank you. Massage Therapy Without Borders is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. Send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L.org. And please check out our classes at healwell.org. New episodes will be available weekly via your favorite podcast app and on Healwell's Facebook page. Thanks for listening.